0: Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Steph Newjabauer Today's special guests are Dawn and Zachary Schneer, here to share with us about the special blessing that it is to have a large family. Now, listener, whether you grew up in a family of four, of 10, or if you were an only child, I invite you to listen and to learn along with me. Zach and Dawn, welcome to our show. Would you please introduce yourselves?
1: I'm Zach. I work for Mission Advancement for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and I... I'm married to my wife, Dawn. We've been married now, going almost 18 years. In July, and my wife is stay-at-home mom. She teaches our youngest kindergartner, youngest boy who's in school, and takes care of all the all the family things and taking on baking and just really busy lady.
0: Yes. (laughs) What makes Uh, you busy, Dawn? Well,
2: there's. There's so many things. <laughs> we have, we have eight children. So usually that's enough for people to, to say, Oh, I, I get it. I, you, I don't even know what you yes. do, but you must do a lot of things. <laughs> Most of it is actually busy in my mind. So yes, there's scheduling and, and transportation and you know, physically caring for the children, but it's managing their emotions and managing how do I fit together the scheduling or or whatever. So how do I problem solve all throughout my day on the timing of making the supper, the timing of picking up the children, putting the child down for the nap, doing this activity or not doing that activity. So usually at the end of the day, my exhaustion feels more mental than anything else.
0: Right now I have little ones, six and under, and I feel honestly, just as equally physically exhausted at the end of a day as I am mentally. Has that shifted since they've gotten older?
2: I think it changes. I don't know if it totally shifts. It's, you know, the drama that we have with teenagers in the house now is different than the drama we had when they were 10 and under. The problems were easier to solve, faster to solve, generally speaking. And now we have you know, very strong emotions and the teenagers are all female. So that impacts how you handle their issues and their emotions. Zach is very much like, well, what's the problem? And why is that a problem? And why are you crying? And, and they, most of the time don't even know why they're, I don't know why I'm crying. (laughs) Uh, So we get a lot of that and letting them process through those things. But then as they get older, too, you're helping them prepare to be independent outside of your home in a different way than you do when they're six. You know, when they're six, you want them to be able to dress themselves and clean themselves and get themselves a glass of milk or something. Whereas when they're 16, you're thinking, okay, I only have a handful of years left. I want to make sure you can function outside of my home and that you can interact with people appropriately. You're going to make good choices. Obviously... You know, we are living in a simple world and we're simple people, so they're not all the best choices. But how can we help guide and direct them so that we feel confident in letting them out from under our shelter little bit by little bit? So now what are their age ranges? Our oldest is 16. Then we have a 15-year-old, 13 and 10. Those are the girls at the top of the list. Then we have three boys, ages nine six and four and the toddler is two and she's a girl and then we have another one coming this summer and that is yet to be determined i mean it's been let me rephrase that god has determined <laughs> this is a boy or a girl we just don't know yet we won't know till the baby's born i think it's
0: well congratulations to you i did i did not realize that you were expecting i just have a, a burning question because i have three children and i I feel like I am swimming in the deep end, just spreading water, trying to keep my head above water most days. So you have eight expecting nine. How do you do it? What is your secret sauce? There is no secret. <laughs> is by the grace of God and the
2: help of your neighbor. And I would say give it a couple more years. When the oldest hits 10 things seem to get a little easier because then they are not just capable of helping themselves, but they can actually be actually helpful with the other children. And that that depends on your child, too. Of course, you know, every 10-year-old is different. But I found that once we had slogged through 10 years, then it seemed like, oh, now the children can be more helpful. The older ones now get to help me with the younger ones, whether they like it or not, sometimes but it's usually a trade-off. What would you rather stand here and make supper or do you want to go give the baby a bath? Would you rather fold the laundry or would you rather, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing, I give them the choice. You can either help with the baby or help do this. Sometimes they choose a chore. Sometimes they choose the younger sibling. Either way, the jobs are getting done and I'm getting some support there. I think you also end up just getting more used to the way life goes in some ways, like, I'm not intimidated by toddlers anymore when at first it was a really intimidating, oh, now they're toddlers and now I have to do this or do that. Well, I've already done toddlers a few times, so I've seen most things happen and it doesn't bother me. Now, teenagers were just on the beginning end of that, so that's still intimidating and trying to manage that. But hopefully by the time, you know, our fifth or sixth child is a teenager, I'll say, oh, I've seen this. (laughs) (laughs) I know I know a better way to handle this than I did the first time or the second time. So some of it just is life experience, I guess, to just knowing, okay, this is normal. I can expect this. Or this is how I could solve the problem in advance and not have that problem come up potentially.
0: So let's backtrack a little bit. How did you meet? You can go. I did a lot of (laughs) talking.
1: Day one in college. We both went to Seward together, and she was in kind of this first introduction to... Know, was orientation freshman, orientation freshman orientation. She was in my group, and she was supposed to call me, and she never did. She said <laughs> I gave her the wrong number, which I didn't. He, he did, and and then <laughs> yeah, the, the rest is kind of his. We started dating about it, well, ten days later, and yeah, now we have nine kids.
0: Okay, so you're you are Seward grads, and you met the first day of college. Oh, did you offer to take in her things into her dorm, or how did that happen?
1: No, we were all moved in at that point.
2: You offered to fix my computer. Oh, because we couldn't get the Ethernet to work because my dad didn't quite know what he was doing, (laughs) and and so I couldn't access internet. You're like, well, I have tools, and then you just showed up at my door. (laughs) I don't know. You had wire cutters, and I don't know. But you (laughs) fixed the problem, and I could access the internet
0: again. Wow, what a guy!
1: That was memorable.
0: So did you marry while you were in college still or did you marry after graduation?
1: So after a semester of school, I got deployed to Iraq. So I was gone for three, three semesters. I came home on leave and we got engaged and uh, then we did another year of school and then we got married that summer. We were still in school. We were still, you were still in school. Okay.
0: Now let me ask when you first started dating and in your early Year or so of marriage. Did you talk about how many kids you were hoping to have?
1: She has a little larger family. It's just me and my sister. My parents only had two of us. She's got four in their, in their family. Mom and dad had four kids. You know, I just assumed she wanted to have a few more than what my parents did just because of her background, but I don't think we really discussed quantity
2: not when we were dating or after we got married and it was when we were pregnant with our first child and it was, Oh, we never really talked. you know, how many kids do you think you might like to have? And do you remember your answer to that question? No. You said, I mean, we didn't know what we were having a boy or a girl. And he says to me, well, I'm not having seven daughters. <laughs> Cause I said something about, well, maybe we should at least have, you know, it'd be great to have at least one of each. Cause we would get the, the variety there and that's when he said he wasn't going to have seven daughters and then God gave us four daughters in a row and everyone said well maybe maybe you are <laughs> I,
1: God and I had a discussion at that point <laughs> in, in June of 2012 well, I said okay Lord I guess I'm only supposed to be a dad of girls mm-hmm. and that was fine because mm-hmm. that I think Raising girls is in some ways harder than raising boys in that you gotta hand them off. In the future, you have to make sure that spouse is right. Now there's, I guess there's still some of that in the, in the guys. You gotta make sure that he is the right one for, and he's raised the right way to be the right one for another dad's daughter. But it's kind of daunting raising Four girls back to back.
2: Well, he felt that way so strongly that when we were pregnant with our fifth and we didn't know what we were having, we just didn't even pick a boy's name. And when he was born, one of the first things we said was, oh, no, we have, have to name him. Because <laughs> we didn't have an idea at all now what to do. <laughs> so, I, think, I mean, that was... This are, is God's irony, I guess. There know? needs like, to we're be. We're fine with it, just girls, and we'll only quit girl names, and then he finally
1: gives us a book. There needs <laughs> to be a college course on naming kids. I think I agree. We struggled with naming kids. you're that list. <laughs> oh, what are we putting on the list? It doesn't come easily to.
0: I think that parents who who really find names to be important, it, it doesn't come easily because you want to pick. A fitting name for your child. And I, I agree. And I, maybe, maybe parents should be having classes on how to name and spell their children's names. I think that's right. a fair thing to add into the curriculum.
1: I think special characters will come next.
0: I, I don't doubt that. I really don't. Well, it'll help when you're both classroom
2: teachers too, you know, and you, you know, a lot of names and it, whether you like the child or not, sometimes you just don't want to use the name because well, it's, it belongs to that child, and so I'm yeah.
1: not. We are not naming Patrick. Yeah. No, Patrick, we're not naming him. We're not going to be a Patrick.
2: No, there's any Patricks out there, but also we never had that on our no list.
0: It's just you just picked that out of thin air. That's and, right. What right. <laughs> well,
1: that was your boyfriend's name back in? The
0: well, now I'm sitting at the edge of my seat. What did you name your boy? Isaiah. His Isaiah. His Isaiah. Yeah. If we had not named our son Joel. His name would have been Isaiah. I love that name. Walk me through this. What does a typical morning look like in your family?
1: It's dark. <laughs> our Our schedule has changed depending on what job I've had. Yes. So the the schedule for when I was teaching uh, and when she when she was teaching and. Then when I was in the car business versus now it's it's been pretty drastic. Right now she's getting up and and getting ready to doing the shower bit, and I'm getting kids up and going for in the morning cooking breakfast, and then we high five, slap each other's hands as we're passing in the hallway, and then <laughs> she continues to get them going, and
2: I get him on the bus, and he gets himself ready for the day, and then most of the time they make it to the bus. They, The children who are leaving the house for school these days are 13, 10, and 9. And they make their own lunches. They started doing that quite a while ago. I make sure I have appropriate things in the pantry and in the refrigerator for them, and they know what they can and cannot have, and generally abide by those rules pretty well. They are pretty self-sufficient. I just have to monitor and remind them of the time they get on the bus. And then we have older girls who are home to older ones because they do Lutheran High just down the street for only one class in the day. Then they are Wittenberg Academy students for the rest of their schooling. So they stay home most of the time. And then we have the younger ones at home. And so I feed the little people breakfast. I get them ready. Our school that the children attend, which is connected to our church, has chapel every single day and so i take my children most days to chapel and we we do either matins of divine service with them daily and then come home and start our day of events whatever it happens to be that day usually he you know when he gets ready then he'll go to the basement because he works out of the basement so he goes down to his office and he works and then i do whatever needs to be done and including teaching kindergarten to the 6 year old so that's
1: just kind of how it goes. She's got a pretty good kind of system down. She'll she'll get a bunch of the dough ready for baking bread. She's been baking bread almost every day. And then while that's rising, she's doing some teaching. And then they take a break, and she splits the dough again, or whatever. She got that worked out pretty well. She's now taking on the task of. There's a, there's a half of us are gluten free, so she's trying that whole hand of gluten-free baking. So oh. some days it's better than others, but she's giving it a go.
0: I just commend you for trying. Good for you. I, I you know, I buy my bread and I just, its fascinates me that anyone can actually make bread because I just assume it arrives at the grocery store and that's how it started in the beginning.
2: <laughs> it's a mouth on it. We started in January and, you know, I really... Part of it is is thinking about what are some lost skills that really shouldn't be lost that our children should know how to do and that I should know how to do. And I, you know, baking bread, I should know how to bake bread. My children should know how to bake bread or bake other things than than just bread. So I do a lot of cooking and baking, but bread is yeast breads haven't been something that I really did very often at all. So we've been experimenting with different breads, and the kids have enjoyed helping, um, and they've enjoyed helping taste it mostly. And they give me their feedback. Generally, I don't mess it up too much. And they'll say, oh, this one was better for this reason. But it'll get eaten even if they say it's not as good as the other one. That was one place I thought, well, I can start there. I can start by baking bread and learning that skill. I don't sew or do any needlework or even keep a very tidy house. But I can feed my family right now. So there's that. We also then did the math. You know, is this even economically smart? Should we even be considering this or is it better just to buy it at the grocery store? Because, you know, I'm sure people have considered, well, if you have that many children, what is your grocery bill like? Mm. And uh usually, so I just went to Costco yesterday and we get this comment almost every time they ask me if I'm throwing a party or just you clocking know, up for several months or something. And I generally say, well, it kind of feels like a party every day, but we just have eight kids and this is, you know, I'll be back in about two weeks to get My my next supply of food. And that gives us a variety of responses. Generally, people don't know what to say at first. And then they kind of chuckle and they look at and they say, oh, well, I guess this makes sense then that you're buying,
1: you know, all of these groceries.
2: So we did the math and it was going to save our family money to make the bread at home.
1: It's not a ton, but the one thing I don't have to do is buy bread.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, we were rationing the children. That kind of has a negative connotation to it, but that's really what it is. They only get so many of each thing in a day. Sure. Oh, You already had an apple. You don't get a second apple or we don't have any apples for tomorrow. You already had this snack. You don't get another one. So everyone was limited to two pieces of bread in a day. So if you want a piece of toast at breakfast, you are getting a smaller sandwich at lunch or maybe you're not having a sandwich at lunch, but you get to make your choices on when you eat your two pieces of bread. So now they're happy because they have more freedom and they can eat more bread. <laughs> Whatever they want because mom's making it and she's not complaining about having to buy the bread.
1: <laughs> well, it's we're trying to be good stewards of of the resources that God has given us. Uh we also try to make sure what we're putting in our kids' bodies is is pure and you know, we know exactly what we're putting in a loaf of bread when she makes oh, it at home. Right. You know, we yeah. don't have to try to get out the thesaurus or the dictionary and figure out what this item is, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, this morning, kind of ironically, I read an article. The headline goes something like, this famous actor is right that not having kids is easier, but right. he's wrong about everything else.
2: So I know what article you're referencing. I saw that. I haven't read it yet, but I saw it pop up. So and he is right. Yeah. you want us to take this right <laughs>
0: like, right yeah i mean yeah. i'm assuming that's a given right
2: yeah it's totally easier to
1: not have children you know what kind of house we would have and how, what kind of <laughs> car we would have <laughs> what kind of Vacations. trips we would go on
0: oh yeah
1: yeah yeah if we didn't like i've never put a pencil to paper and, and and figured out like how much does a kid cost you in a lifetime or you know there's those statistics out there on google and and you can say, oh, okay, you know, it costs $300,000 before they get to college. And I, I don't see that because that means I'm rich. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I'm a Lutheran educator and my wife was a Lutheran educator out of college and, and <laughs> church work is not where you get rich in terms of money. Yeah. But yeah, life would be different, way different.
2: Uh huh. I think about that though. I thought about it before this article headline came out with people who choose to not have children. I think about the older people that we know who don't have children. Oftentimes the, they seem to long to have a relationship with the younger generations. You know, most of them, I don't know their story. They, some share with us and some don't, and that's fine. But to see them longing, you know, it's like, well, I lived my life, but now that we're retired. What's next? We don't have grandchildren to visit. We don't have children that will visit us. And so we obviously won't have to worry probably, God willing, about that when we're old, but it's just an interesting thought to ponder. And then the reasons why people choose not to have children. And I've heard several reasons. And yep, life would definitely be easier, but I feel like for us, it would be empty in a way. That's not to say that, especially for those couples who long for children and God has not blessed them with children, that, oh, they just lead an empty life. I don't mean that at all. I just know the fullness that the children have brought to our lives and it would just be a very different life. And I think that I would still be seeking out ways to fill that emptiness with my neighbors. You know, being the Let your child sit with me in church, or I'll be happy to babysit for you for a while, or um, I'll be a Sunday school teacher, I'll do Bible school with you. Finding ways to still have
0: those relationships
2: with children if God had not blessed us with our own.
0: And now I bring that up also to ask you, I would assume that you're not making decisions as a family based on what's easier or what's harder, especially when it comes to receiving the children God's given you. Is that correct?
2: Right. Yeah, when it comes to the size of our family, well, I kind of tell people you can only reach a hundred percent, right? Like in reality, you can't have more than a hundred percent of something. We've already maxed out our crazy, so we've got to that hundred percent point. So now anything more, just it doesn't even feel like an additional level of crazy. Because like your house must, yeah, it is crazy, but it feels no more crazy when we add a new baby. And that was about baby four. That's mm. what it was. And my grandmother had six children, and she had told me years ago, after four, what's one more? She said that was always her mantra. And I thought, well, that sounds really silly, Grandma. It's just another baby, and it's another this you have to do, and another that you have to do. It. In retrospective, she's so right, because it really did feel after four, adding another one was not a big deal. There were things to consider, like where will the baby sleep when it grows up? Or where will it sit in the vehicle? Do we need a different vehicle? But it wasn't. Anything in our family. Where dynamic. are we going to put
1: the next dresser?
2: <laughs> but the family dynamics and incorporating that child into the home did not, was not daunting at all. We didn't have issues with children accepting the next sibling. In fact, when we haven't had a baby for a while, we, which that sounds funny, but our longest span was almost three years between birth to birth and The children would say things like, well, I think it's about time you have another baby, mom. (laughs) You just get used to that pattern and rhythm in life. And, well, this baby is this old, so now you need to be having another one, which I find kind of entertaining a little bit for myself. (laughs) And it's it's a welcome thing to see, actually, because a few babies ago, our oldest was not very pleased that we were having another one. Hmm. She was very upset. And this goes to the language that you use when you talk about children Mm
0: -hmm. and the gift
2: language. And I realized too often the message they were receiving from society and from sometimes family members and from sometimes their own parents was children are a burden and children are a mess and children are loud and children get in the way of me doing my life. And so it really, bothered her that we were having yet another one because she viewed this child the same way. It's just going to bother me. It's just going to be loud. It's going to be another mess. It's going to be another reason we can't do something. And so we had to stop and evaluate and say, wait a minute, what are we telling our children and what we say and what we do and those around us? What is the comment that the stranger says going to mean to our child? And so how do we hedge them? From feeling those kinds of things, because we certainly don't want our children to feel that they themselves are a burden Mm -hmm. and that we don't appreciate them as the gift that God has given us. Now, obviously, some days we feel very burdened by the responsibilities that we have with these children, but the children themselves are not the problem. It's my failing as a mother that really is, I think, where the problem lies. So we've had to consciously make sure we're telling our children, God has given us this baby, not we decided to have another baby or anything like that so that they they do view this is a good gift from God and there might be challenges, but it doesn't mean this is a bad thing that's happening to our family and we should be despondent about it instead of joyful.
0: Yeah. Well, and thank you. You bring up a, a really good point. You know, early on in the days of Friends for Life, we had guest Katie Sherman on, and she talked about this very thing. She talked about using what she calls gift language in reference to children and the importance of using this gift language being that our world, our culture today is constantly either sending explicit or subliminal messages about what children are or what the family is. And one of them could be on the extreme of being, well, children are some kind of commodity for parents to have their own kind of sense of fulfillment. Or on the other end of the spectrum, well, they're they're merely a a byproduct of reproduction rather than calling them what they are and what scripture calls them, which is a gift from the Lord that God gives in his goodness as a blessing, how does this readjustment or how did this kind of centering of your family on on this very concept, especially your daughter who was struggling with that, how did it shift perspectives? Well, we were also very honest with her and I was honest. There are times
2: when I think, why, Lord, why have you blessed me? I'm going to use the word loosely right now when I speak to you that with these children, when it doesn't feel like a blessing, it feels frustrating it feels burdensome and how can i view these children as a blessing instead of through my eyes of frustration and hesitation and inadequacies and a lot of that that perspective that i had i go to my sister-in-law his sister quite often with these feelings and frustrations because she's she really taught me a lot when we first got married And we're having children. We never once had the discussion of, you know, we'll just let the Lord provide and give us children. And it was very much a controlled sort of thing, like where we only want X amount or we only want them at this time. And I went through a lot of grief and struggle when we got pregnant way earlier than I had wanted to or way earlier than I thought was appropriate. Uh, and I was really, really angry, angry at my husband, angry at this baby in my belly, angry at God and angry at my sister-in-law because she thought it was so great. I thought, well, if it's so great, then you should be having this baby and not me. And she was longing for children and um it had had one and they longed for many years for more and God has since blessed them. But there were long periods of time there where, I was frustrated with the blessings God was giving me. And she was frustrated with the temporary barrenness that she struggled with. And I thought, well, God should have given her all these kids and I'd have been happy with just one. And But I think we helped each other through that. But She definitely helped change my perspective and remind me that this is from God. And he has given me these children and he will equip me as their mother. He will provide for these children. He always provides for his children. It rarely looks like what we expect you know, a lot of times when people say that, you know, I wish the Lord would provide or he'll provide, you know, people think they just want a bigger number in their bank account, but that's Mm -hmm. usually the way God provides for his children. (laughs) A lot of times it looks like trash bags of clothes on your front door that someone has dropped off or an unexpected meal that a member of the church has made for you. That's how we've seen Provision, Or for some reason, a rebate check that you forgot you filled out for an item, you know, comes in six or nine months later, just in time to pay a bill or whatever it is that is coming up that you're thinking, how will we make this work?
1: We (laughs) learned that the hard way. I was driving a semi-truck for FedEx in college, and I just remember she would swipe that card and hope that it didn't get declined. (laughs) Right. We had enough money in the the checking (laughs) account. And it was it was a it the way God chose to prove that he was caring for us was a was hard. Where are we gonna get money for this? Where are we gonna get money for clothes? Where are we gonna get money for whatever? And then all of a sudden, two days later, we get a winter coat in a bag and there you go, daughter, here's our winter coat that you you're gonna need. And he is constantly, consistently proven that we are much more to him than the lilies of the field or the the grasses of the field. I was in Lowe's this morning and there was this bird on the outdoor section and there's these hanging baskets of that like brown grass that's pressed in and you can hang your 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 flowers up right. And there's a bird perched on it pulling some little grass out of that and I thought okay the person who made that did not intend for that bird to use that grass for a nest. But yet, there it is. So I see that all the time. And echoing through my life, how we think we need this and this and this, but then God says, nope, you need this, and here it is. I get in my mind and I think, okay, that means so-and-so had to do this, and so then so-and-so had to do that, and -and so-and-so had to do this for me to get it. And God had his hand in that all the way back three people ago, five steps ago. And I think about how, you know, things that are working in our life right now will be taken care of maybe not today, but tomorrow or the next day. And what God's doing something right now today, which will help provide for us next month, we try real hard to just live by God's going to provide what we need. God's given us the mindset and given us a mind to make wise decisions with the, the resources and the gifts he's given us. We've had the conversation at the dinner table before where I've made it clear that the kids know that they are half of my genes and half of her genes. But they're not my kids. They're not her kids. Not our kids. They're in our care and our care as children of God to care for other children of God it is a hard responsibility. It's rewarding because you get to see growth in things of the world through them, you know, ability, them growing and being smart and learning and getting friends. And you also get to see the blessings that, that we get to see them growing in their faith and how they can share the word of God or how they can share their, Views of life matters with other people. You're like, I get to experience that. I don't see them as mine and I get to control them and they're doing things for me. I love it when they make me a sandwich, (laughs) but they're not on this earth to please me. They're not my servants. That viewpoint makes me treat them differently. Yeah. Whereas I might be hard on them for some reason, but I have to know that the reason that I'm hard on them is because it's a God issue, that they're Mm. not doing something right or they need to be doing something differently, not a personal want issue.
0: Mm. We have a mantra in our home and it's people are more important than things. It means a couple of different things or has multiple meanings, but one of them being kind of like what you said. People do not have, in the eyes of a Christian, a kind of utilitarian value to them because of what they could do for me to make my life better. That's kind of what this article that I read this morning is is harping on that idea. Well, sure, if you want to think about life in terms of what's easier for you and what makes you more successful in the world's eyes and what makes your life easy breezy, then that wouldn't involve more people, right? That would involve less people. And so that's how the world views people without God. But the way that God views people is very different. And so we look at a family like yours with nine children and we see The Lord has blessed you. He's given you under your care people that will live into eternity, not just for this life, but on into the next that not only you get to enjoy, but we as a larger family of believers get to enjoy as well. We get to serve and be served by them. We get to do this life with them, to worship our Lord with them. And that's that's a wonderful thing. In Christians, you especially get to bear witness... To what God teaches about life, just by very nature of, of what He's given your family, it's a testament to the person at Costco who's ringing you up, <laughs> thinking that the groceries that you have, you're throwing some kind of graduation party. Well, actually, no. This is this is to feed my family for a week. What an awesome way to share with them, whether you know overtly or not, the way that God has blessed you with the people that He's given you in your family. You know, you mentioned some of the challenges, and that includes finances. That includes scheduling and working around everybody's schedule. That includes the chaos and perhaps the messiness of a home. But what are some unexpected joys, some blessings, some kind of misconceptions that maybe people would have about a large family, but you've seen it to not be true? I think
2: maybe other people see the blessings even better than we do since we're living in the midst of it. And we see all the things we see the fights and the arguments and, you know, just the struggle of living in a micro community in (laughs) within these four walls. But I've noticed with, and this isn't just our family. We know several families with just as many kids or even more children than we have. And it seems like there is a natural understanding of how to help one's neighbor. When you're raised in a large family and you help without needing to be asked often, it seems like many families we know, the children just jump up and they'll help the younger child. Not their sibling necessarily, just this child needs help on the playground and the child needs help, you know, putting food on their plate at a potluck or whatever. So they'll offer to help regularly and they know how to help. They also know how to learn from a variety of people. So some children may be already experience learning from teachers and parents. But when you have a house full of children of all the ages, the youngest is learning from the next one and the next one and the next one. And they learn sometimes not the things you want them to learn. But they also learn things I wouldn't have thought to teach my two-year-old because I'm busy doing other things. And, well, isn't that funny? They taught her this song or they taught her how to do this finger play or whatever it might be. So now she knows the skill, which is great. They're practicing as the older children how to communicate effectively with the younger ones. And then my prayer is that 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 helps them become really well-equipped parents My girls will ask me, especially the oldest, because she's closest to being out of the house. Well, what do you think I should do? Or should I be in this? Or should I be in that? And where should I go to college? And and I always tell her, well, that that might be a good school if that's the job you want to have. But do you think in that location you'll be able to find a faithful Lutheran spouse? And she just sort of looks at me like, mom, why does it always come down to this? (laughs) <laughs> because someday you want to get married and it's not that I want you to get married when you're 18 or 21 but you're going to have a hard time finding a lutheran spouse if you don't go where the lutherans are yeah. so you know and and I don't mind if you don't have a career if you don't really even know what you want to do but you know you're want to get married and be a mother great so we'll go on a path to help you figure out what you're doing when you leave our home and if that means it gets interrupted because you get married, then so be it. That would be wonderful. You're going to have a family. And then I've got others who say, Mom, I want to be a mom and I want to stay home with my children. But I want to have a job maybe before or sometimes in between. So what's a good job that works with a family? Well, so then we talk about that. And the other thing that, that I've noticed with the large family and a blessing is that the children learn that they're not an island. You know, the world doesn't revolve around them. They have to learn how to compromise and how to sacrifice sometimes in ways that children who come from just a couple sibling home don't have to do. And sometimes that's frustrating and hard, but I think in the long run, beneficial for them because they're learning that sacrifice and compromise pretty early. And they learn that you can be happy without getting everything you want. You can be, maybe I should say you should be content. So there's contentment, even if you're not happy with everything. So the older ones now know how to understand that, that, well, maybe this isn't the restaurant we want to eat at, or this isn't the show we want to watch, but we'll get a chance to watch what we want eventually. And look how happy the little people are because they're getting to watch this silly show or whatever, you know, the case is. We don't want to play this game, but they really enjoy playing that game. So we'll play it with them for a while. So it teaches them a different kind of patience and understanding when dealing with their neighbors, their nearest neighbors. And there are a lot of struggles with having this many personalities in the house. Because just because you come from the same two parents doesn't mean you have the same personalities in your children, whether they're the same gender or not. And so, you know, we've got eight very different personalities in this whole And sometimes they work together lovely and other times it's very hairy and (laughs) it takes some muddling through and almost a level of counseling that mom and dad have to do to help children come to an understanding or a toleration of one another. You might be mad right now, but you can't get away from your sister. She's your sister for life. So what are we going to do about this? You can take a break for a while and go to another room, but eventually you have to face each other. And so how can we do that? So those are skills that, you know, there's not a lot of places to hide when you have this many folks in a home and the home is not really that large.
0: So you got to figure out how to get along and get over things at some point just good life skills in general to have. And people who will be in their life in the future will be blessed by them knowing that. I hope so. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's something I tell my, especially my six and my four-year-old boy and girl, they just bug each other. Now, they're probably too young to understand what I'm talking about, but I feel like a sage when I tell them this. I say, you know, your friends and your life will come and go, but your siblings will always be there for you. You will always get to have them as a friend. So let's think about that when we're treating each other the way that we are. And remember that you get this person for life. So you're stuck with them and that's a good thing. You know right. I
2: don't think it's too early to tell them that though, because then it becomes part of them and it's an understanding. Even if they don't really get what you mean by it right now, they'll get it at some point. And I don't even think our teenagers get it right now because they're just annoyed with each other at this point. For this reason or that, or they just think, well, once I'm out of the house, then things will be different or I do or don't have to see my family when I want to, but they'll, they'll get there. I just keep praying. They'll get there. (laughs) Maybe by the time they're 25 or 30, they'll have a change (laughs) of heart and realize, I love my sister.
0: Maybe I want to spend time with her. Yeah. I pray that too. I do. Don and Zach, as we wrap up, if people are just taking away one thing from our conversation today, what is it that you want them to take away from our time together? One of the things is I hear a lot of
2: times people say, "Oh, you have that many children. I could never do that." I thought the same thing, and I'm not a superwoman, and I'm I'm not doing anything extraordinary. Um, I'm just mothering the children God has given me as best as I can every day with the help that He's provided in my husband and my extended family and our church family because the Lord provides and he's the one who's doing these good works because if it were really up to me, this would be a very different situation. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest misconception is just you that know. mothers of many or fathers of many are different kind of people than, you know, a mother that only has two children. And and we're not, we're not different people. We just,
0: we just have different families and we slogged through different things in different ways, as in some people assume that you have this some kind of superpower or like special personality that allows you to oh. handle this many kids. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. Or you must have it all together. You have all these kids, and so your
2: house must be so organized, or you must be this, or then like, well, <laughs> no. Organization works against my personality the way I've been before children, and so that's it's actually another yeah. challenge having all yeah. of these children and having to force myself to plan and organize when that's just not really something that came naturally to me. So, no, there's nothing remarkable or unique about us that we have some kind of skill or personality that makes it easier for us or that makes it so that other people couldn't have many children, too. Just that here we are, and and God is just walking through it
1: with us. This is not the life that I ever had planned. There's a lot of responsibility for dad. She takes care of all of the schedules and the food planning and it's my job to make sure that the money is there. So from a business perspective yeah. There's there's a lot of responsibility to make sure that everyone's needs are funded. But God God could have given us a real a much easier life. But there's a lot of things in my future that I'm not aware of yet that will be huge blessings for me. I'm really excited for the Christmases when everybody comes home and we got to all be in this chaos together with even more generations. I would have never seen that as a possibility.
0: Don, you're going to be baking lots of bread. <laughs> That's the plan. (laughs) Well, just in these last couple minutes, we've had the pleasure of having a special visitor in here with us. And she is a sweet addition to our conversation. So thank you for joining us, sweetheart. And thank you, Dawn and Zach, for joining me and for being our guest. Happy to be here. Mm -hmm. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life.